so, uh, man, that's it. I'm thankful you're here. We're in the book of Revelation. And I know that the last few weeks, I've preached uh, a little bit long, so I've been told. I don't think so, but so I've been told it's been a little bit long. And, but never fear. You know, I, I know I need to apologize to the child care workers because they get a little crazy after a certain time, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, never fear. Uh, help is on the way. Football season is almost here, right? And you know during football season, it's like, bro, we got to get in and out, you know, in and out burgers. That's what we're doing, right? And so, so man, uh, but uh, although I've preached long lately, at least it's been about good and interesting subjects that everybody wants to hear, you know, hell, judgment, gloom, and doom, right? Uh, but, you know, I, I know that these subjects, they don't tickle your ears, folks. I know they don't. They're not ear ticklers. Uh, although they don't tickle your ears, I hope they encourage your soul if you're a believer because they let us know that everything we go through on this planet to get to our, 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 our real home. Everything we go to, go through to get there will be vindicated because God's a just God and he brings judgment and there will be judgment. And all of that releases me from uh, how harboring bitterness and resentment and, and seeking vengeance because I know that God is a just God. So hopefully, uh, although it doesn't tickle your ears, it is encouragement to your soul, all right? Now, today we come to Revelation 15. We're gonna cover an entire chapter today. Revelation 15 is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It's only eight verses. Uh, we're gonna cover it today, and John is going to introduce us to the seven bowl judgments, the seven bowls of God's wrath, which are the final outpouring of God's judgment on those who oppose him. And so let's dive in and let's look at, at this chapter. If you've got your Bible, you want to open it, or if you've got on, on your phone or whatever, open it there. It'll be on the screen. If you're at home, get your Bibles out wherever you are or join in on the screen. So, so let, let, me, let me read the passage, and then I've broken it down for you, hopefully in a way that'll help you get your mind around it. So let's, let's look and see what it says. Then I saw John writing, I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. He says, these are the last. We're going to talk about all this. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb. Two songs here, we're gonna talk about what they are. Uh, one's in Revela uh, uh, Exodus 15, one's in Revelation 15, and they're the same song, what they're talking about, the same thing. We're gonna, we're gonna see what they are saying. Great and amazing are your deeds. Look at what they're singing. Great and amazing is God. How awesome God is, how great God is. O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. All right, now I've broken this down, a great and glorious chapter. Again, 
You read the chapter, and it's got full of images. It's full of stuff, angels with seven gold sashes and uh, around their chest. And, man, you've got these seven plagues. And, uh, I mean, you've got smoke and sea of glass mixed with fire. And this is the book of Revelation. What I hope's happening through the book of Revelation is once when you looked at this book, and you might have been scared, you're like, man, I'm not reading this to my kids at bed. It's, it's got dragons, and it's got beasts, and it's got all this gore and blood and all this stuff. Now I hope you're reading it saying, oh, hold on a minute, man. This is not a scary book. This is a hopeful book. I mean, man, this, for the believer, this is like, uh, this is a really hopeful book. And so I'm hoping you're beginning to understand that and you should go back and read it with new eyes. And so as we look at this chapter with all of these images, I've broken it down into three different points that I hope help you get your mind around it. We're gonna talk about the sign, the saints, and the song. The sign, the saints, and the song. And so, uh, man, as we look at that, I hope you begin to say, okay, this will help me uh, file this away in my mind in a way that I've got my mind around it. So let's look at the sign. John says he saw another sign in heaven. Now, this is John's third sign that he has, has saw, right? He's seen. He saw two signs, the first two, where one was the pregnant woman, who, and the th- second was the red dragon. What was the pregnant woman and the red dragon? Well, the pregnant woman was Israel. The pregnant woman, she was pregnant with the Messiah. Goes back to Genesis chapter three, the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, where God proclaimed judgment upon the serpent, the ancient serpent, uh, the dragon, the same ancient serpent dragon. He, he, he proclaimed judgment upon him, and he said that the woman would bear a son, her seed, uh, the, that the enemy, the dragon, would wound her seed, but that her seed would destroy him, all right? So you begin to see this battle uh, throughout the rest of the scripture about the dragon trying to kill the son, the seed of the woman. It's what killing the babies when Moses was born was all about. And it's what killing all the, the babies in Bethlehem uh, around two years after Jesus' birth. King Herod with the wise men, it's what that's all about. It's what trying to annihilate the Jews and Esther. It's what that's all about. It's what it's been all about since the history of the world. The dragon trying to annihilate the Messiah, the, 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 wom- the pregnant woman's child, uh, so that he uh, would not be eliminated, all right? So that's what this is all about. So the first sign is the pregnant woman. The second sign is the dragon. Here's the third sign, and John says it's great and marvelous. What makes it great and marvelous? I think it's great and marvelous because it marks the end. The end is almost here. This is the last, it says. This is the the final outpouring of God's judgment on those who oppose him. We've talked a lot about doom, gloom, death, hell, judgment, all that stuff. And John says, this is the final outpouring. The battle is almost over, folks. These seven bowls mean the battle is almost over. Now, uh, we've seen the seven seal judgments, right? Revelation talks about three sets of seven judgments. The seven seal judgments, we've looked at. The seven trumpet judgments, we've looked at. Now, John's introducing in chapter 15, the seven bowl judgments, which will be outlined in chapter 16. And so remember now, these seven, three sets of seven, I don't think are successive, it happened in succession, okay? Now, we looked at in sermon one on this, the introductory sermon, and here's what I think it'd be good if you have not been uh, with us through the series, it'd be great for you to go back and catch up. This is, all sermon series are building, right? Because we go through books of the Bible. But Revelation, understanding the beginning is gonna greatly help you understand what we're talking about now when you begin to understand these pieces. We talked about the different millennial views and post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial. We'll talk about the millennial in a few weeks, the millennial 
him in a few weeks, right? So we talked about those views, and we talked about uh, other views, and so it'd be good to go back. The, the dispensational view, you know, dispensationalists, futurists, believe that all of this is future. From Revelation 4 on, it's all future. As a matter of fact, they believe that this doesn't even really uh, apply to us until it starts happening. It, it applies to those who live uh, just prior to Christ's return, which could be us. We don't know that yet, but they believe that, it, that it's all future, that Jesus is going to come back, and when Jesus returns, then he is going to get his bride, the church, because God's going to save his church from all of this tribulation. And then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. All this is going to be hell on earth unfolding. And then Jesus is going to return a third time, and, 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 and that's going to be the end of the end, right? That's not my uh, interpretation of Revelation. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when, 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 we, when we look at, at this, I, I think that these seven, three sets of seven judgments, seals, trumpets, and bowls, are not successive judgments where we have to say, okay, which one are we on? Are we on uh, trumpet seven, bowl one, bowl four? I mean, Revelation is not a code book to help us decipher. It doesn't give us a, a special uh, ring to decipher which bowl we're on. It is a picture book letting us know what's going on behind the scenes uh, uh, of this battle that's raging. And so I don't think these are, are, are 21 successive judgments. I think that they are retelling of the same judgments, right? It's called recapitulation. It's like a recap. He's telling us, here's the judgment, and then he tells us, shows it to us from a different angle. Last night, I watched the Titans game, and I'm sure some of you watched the Titans game, and when you watch the, the game, man, you see the play unfold, and then you see a zoomed-in shot that completely changed your perspective. You see a receiver catch the ball. Last night, you know, I saw one of the Chicago receivers caught the ball. Uh, man, they, 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 he caught the ball for a first down. They ran to the line of scrimmage, and right before they ran the line of scrimmage, they stopped the play to check it. They did a zoomed-in angle. His feet wasn't in. Completely checked. New perspective, right? Completely new. That's what these judgments are. They give you a different perspective. Now, although they're telling the same judgments over and over, and they don't even tell all of them because John said he saw more he didn't even give. So although they're the same judgments over and over, here's what we know. They get more intense. The heat is turned up each time, right? The heat keeps turning up. Uh, and matter of fact, if we look at the seal judgments, it says that it affected a fourth of the earth. We look at the trumpet judgments, they affected a third of the earth. And when we get to the bold judgments here, they're going to affect the entire earth. Why? Because it's the last. It's the last outpouring. The heat is turned up. I believe John says it's the last because the heat is turned up to an incredible intensity right? The final outpouring of God's wrath. I also believe it's the last because it is the last chance that people have to repent, which is what's happening in these judgments. God is giving an opportunity to repent, and it's the last opportunity to repent. Now, John sees seven angels with seven plagues. We think of plagues, and we think of disease and pestilence and uh, pandemics and all that, and it certainly is, but the word plagues here in uh, this context really translates into blows or wounds. It's blows or wounds. So it could say that the seven angels have seven blows or wounds. And so, uh, it, yes, it, it, it could be plagues, and it is plagues, and it is uh, disease and pandemics and pestilence, but it also is not limited 
to disease and pandemics and pestilence. It is also things like natural disasters, and it is also things like the fall of empires, and it, it is, it is uh, just earthquakes and tornadoes, and it, it is events in the world that are God's judgment upon the world. So it's, it, it is uh, pestilence and disease, but it's not limited to. It's all these judgments. And remember, if for the dispensationalists that believe this is all in the future, I don't, I don't believe that. Here's what I believe. I believe that the end times are not limited to the last few years before Christ returns. I think John is very clear that the end times began the moment Jesus ascended to heaven. When Jesus ascended back to heaven after his crucifixion, that was the beginning of the end times, and the end times will continue until the day that the Father, the moment that the Father has set and established to, to send his son back for his bride. So that is between his ascension and his return, which means we're living in the end times now. That's why there's so much end times talk about in the New Testament. We're living in those end times. The tribulation is now right? The Antichrist is not just one man, and I believe that there will be a very evil man as they keep getting intense in the last, but there's not just one. John says there's many Antichrists, right? And so every generation has, a, I believe Hitler was an Antichrist, but not the Antichrist, but he was certainly an Antichrist, right? I believe Saddam Hussein was an Antichrist, right? I believe Bin Laden was an Antichrist. I believe, you know, there's been so many and, 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 and there will continue to be and there will be a final, the last that will be bad. And I, I do believe that, but I believe we're living in the end times. I believe we're going through the tribulation and some people might say, oh, well, no, that's not how I understand. I think in the end, when it gets to the end, man, it's going to be tough. We're not going to be sitting around watching football. Really? Well, I mean, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 Jesus said, we got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, Jesus, uh, here, here, here Paul says that when the day of the Lord comes, people, he will come like a thief in the night and people will be uh, absolutely shocked because they'll be saying, man, there's peace and there's security, right? And so, I mean, here, here we've got, we're going through the tribulation. We're going through the end times. And so all these judgments have been happening. All these Trumpets and seals and bowls, they've been happening. That's what we see with natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, the fall of empires. You see uh, plagues and diseases and pandemics, and you see it ratcheting up, don't you? I, I mean, and all through these things, the heat's being turned up, man. I mean, it's more and more intense. Uh, Amy and I were talking, and she was watching something this week, and someone on there in, in, in high levels of, of whatever was saying that the world today, as we speak, talking about what's going on in Afghanistan, talking about what we're going on in part of the world, he said that the world in which we live today, make no mistake about it, is the most dangerous it has ever been in every single country. It is getting more dangerous. It is more and more dangerous right now than ever before. Doesn't that make, does that make sense to you as educated as we are, as civil as we are? I mean, and we're, it's more dangerous. Why? Because we've turned our backs on God and the judgments are ratcheting up. And we've seen those, and they've been opportunities for people to, to, to repent. I, I remember... 9-11, you know, 9-11, September the 11th, 2001. How many of you remember 9-11? If you're here, if you're on, okay, if, you were, if you're alive, you remember 9-11, you've been taught about it in school. I was a pastor here during, in 2001 during 9-11. I've been here a long time. And I had just flown on September the 10th to 
to LA, to California. I was meeting with a church, uh, their staff at the church. As a matter of fact, Travis Ryan was a part of that staff at that church. I don't know if he was in 2001, but uh, 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 he was, he was a, a part of the staff at that church. And uh, I was meeting with this church, woke up that morning, my phone was ringing. Everybody, me and a couple of staff members, our phones were ringing because it's a couple hours behind. Turn on the TV, turn on the TV. We, we, we woke up and you see the devastation. Now, you know, immediately what I thought, I thought, man, this is devastating. It was eerie. Everybody was quiet. Everywhere you went, people were in shock. It was quiet. It was shock and awe. You remember that, right? You know what I thought as a pastor? I thought, man, I'm telling you what, this could be one of the greatest times of revival the church has ever seen. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, man, people's going to flock back to church. People's going to flock. Lord, they're seeing this, and they're going to say, man, I got to come to Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, the next week, it was overflowing. The week after that, it was back probably as low, if not lower than the week before that. I mean, it took a moment and people moved on. People forgot. And you look at that and you think, what in the world is going on? Why does this not pull people to God? Then you read the book of Revelation and you see God's pouring out these seals. God's pouring out these trumpets. God's pouring out these bowls. And what does it say? It says that, oh, Revelation doesn't say that when he does that, that, that those people actually see God doing this and they say, oh, God, and they repent. They say, no, they still curse God. They steal. That's how, that's how absolute uh, devastating sin is. That, that, that is how depraved our heart is. That is what's happening in our world. We see all of these judgments unfolding, right? And they're, not, they're painful, but they've not been final yet. But with the bowls, they will be final. Not just painful, but final and devastating. That's the sign that he sees. So that's the sign. So let's look at the saints, the saints. The first thing John sees here in this vision, he sees, uh, or, or one of the things John sees here in this vision is he sees the sea of glass. When he's in heaven, he sees the sea of glass. Now, if you'll remember, back in chapter four, John is transported to heaven in his, in his vision, and when he's transported to heaven, he sees the throne of God, and the throne of God is surrounded by a sea of glass, and uh, man, when we think about that sea of glass, and it's in a lot of songs, and we'll actually sing it here in a moment about the, the sea of glass, and, and we see the sea of glass, and, 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 and we begin to have visions of what heaven is, and we begin to think of God's throne surrounded by a sea of glass. Later, uh, in a few weeks, we'll talk about God gives a few dimensions of heaven, right? I mean, he, 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 he gives some walls, and it's uh, golden gold street, all this stuff, and so we got this vision in our mind. That's what it looks like, and is it really, uh, or are those metaphors? Well, I think they're metaphors, right? I think they're metaphors. We'll talk about that. Uh, but, but when he talks about the sea of glass, I don't think it's a literal sea. I, I think it is a metaphor. You see, in that day, specifically in Revelation, but in that day, a sea, the sea was a symbol of chaos and evil, right? I mean, the sea was where invaders came across the sea to attack the land. It was a symbol of chaos and evil. And if you'll remember, the dragon called the first beast in Revelation. Where did he call that first beast from? The sea, right? And so it's the symbol of chaos and evil. Now, when John in chapter 4 sees that sea of glass, that crystal sea, it's as smooth as glass. What is it a metaphor? I think it's a metaphor for the fact that when we're in heaven, chaos is gone. There is no chaos. There is no evil. There is no divorce. There is no, uh, there is no stress. There is no pandemic. There is no social unrest. 
there is no political turmoil. There is no military fights. Uh, there is no stock market that falls. There is, there is no uh, bankruptcy. There, there, there is no children dying. There's no parents dying. There's no stress. There's no chaos. There's no evil. It is absolutely as God created it and intended it to be. That's where we want to be. That's what he sees. He sees heaven and it's chaos is gone and he sees it perfectly peaceful, beautiful, amazing, right? That's, where, that's what your, your, your loved ones who knew Jesus, your mom, your dad, your granddad, your child, your, your, your a stillborn baby, your, your a baby that was uh, miscarried. Uh, I, I believe that those people who knew Jesus are today in that place where there is no peace, there is no chaos, there is no evil. It's an amazing place. It's an amazing place, right? Now, here in this vision, he sees a sea of glass mixed with fire, mingled with fire. What in the world does the sea of glass mingled with fire, what is that all about? Well, if you look at different theologians and commentaries, there's basically two thoughts, and I think that it can encompass both of these thoughts. One of the thoughts is that the sea of fire represents the fire of God's judgment upon the unbelieving world and, and the world that opposed him, and I think that is absolutely uh, the possibility. And I also think that the second view is that the fire, the sea of glass mixed with fire, mingled with fire, represents the fire that the martyrs go through in order to get to heaven. The fire that the believers who've been killed go through to get to heaven. If you look at this in the context, he sees the saints standing on the sea of glass, or they stand beside of the sea of glass. They're standing beside the sea of glass, and these are the saints that are victorious over the beast in the tribulation. So what he's talking about is he's talking about the martyrs. He's talking about those who were killed because of what they believe. He's talking about Stephen. Stephen, you know, was the very first martyr, the one who was stoned. He, man, they, they, because he believed in Jesus, they picked up rocks and they just stoned him, man. They drilled him until he was dead because he believed in Jesus. Talking about Peter who was crucified, but because he was crucified, he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus, his Lord, so he requested to be crucified upside down. It's talking about those disciples who were burned at the stake, the early Christians who, had, who, were, who were put on uh, poles and put in, uh, in, in the, 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 the garden of the emperor, doused with oil and set on fire to use as torches. It's talking about all the disciples Every disciple except John was murdered for their faith, murdered because they, they wouldn't shut up about Jesus. And John wasn't uh, uh, kept alive because they didn't try. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. They boiled him in pot of oil, legend says. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. That's how he ended up on Patmos, uh, the Isle of Patmos. It was a rock island like Alcatraz off of the coast. And they said, let's get him as far away from civilization as we can so he has no influence. And then he just wrote the book of Revelation. And then he come out later. And man, he was like the bishop of these churches. It was amazing, this man. But every disciple, the, all the, the Christians that John was writing to when he wrote Revelation, that's what we have to understand. We have to, in order to understand scripture, we have to understand we, I, some of you are not, um, uh, uh, was not born in America and your worldview is shaped uh, from a different culture. We have to understand that as Americans, as Westerners, we have a specific worldview. Our worldview is shaped by the culture. It's shaped by the family. It's shaped by a lot of different things. 
And we view the scripture, and when we read scripture, many times we have a tendency to read into scripture or read scripture from the lens of our worldview. And we don't understand it exactly necessarily, if we don't understand that, how it was meant. When John was writing Revelation, he was not writing to Christians who were living like Christians in America live. He was writing to Christians who were living like Christians in Afghanistan today are living, right? He was writing to Christians because those Christians were being hunted down. They were being ran out of town. They couldn't work if they didn't worship the emperor. They were being killed if they didn't worship the emperor. If they worshiped Jesus, they were being killed. They were being ran out of town. They were being crucified. They were being murdered. And so John was writing to people when he wrote the book of Revelation, and he was writing to people who were literally going through what they were going through, and they were being murdered. And he was writing, and he was, he was saying, uh, uh, he was saying to, writing to give them hope. And so it was all those Christians that, that, that John saw on the sea of glass because they come through the tribulation victorious over the beast. And it includes the Christians uh, who Boko Haram kills in, in, in the continent of Africa. It, it includes Christians uh, who were killed in Myanmar. It includes Christians killed in Libya and Laos. It includes Christians who were killed in Pakistan because today in Pakistan, Christian churches, uh, when, 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 when Christians go into church in Pakistan, you never know when you go into church when it will be that church's time for the militants to surround that church, to bomb that church, to set it on fire and burn it down with the Christians inside of it. You never know when that's going to be you. It happens every, it happens all through time in, in, in Pakistan now. It includes the Christians in Afghanistan today who are, who are being murdered, who are being ravaged. The women are being ravaged and raped and their children are being sold into slaves. The men are being killed and slaughtered. Pastors are being hunted down in Afghanistan right now. That's the saints that John saw standing around the, 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 the crystal sea, the sea of glass. That's the saints he saw. So we've got to understand the perspective. We've got to understand as we read this who he's writing to and who's writing to those same people today, right? And he's writing to people who come through victorious. And it would be easy for us to pity those people. It would be easy, easy for us to look at the pastors, the Christians, the women that are being raped and the children that are being sold into sex slavery today and used however they want to use in Afghanistan because they're Christians and their husbands and fathers murdered. It would be easy for us to have pity on those people. And listen, we need to be moved by it, but it's not pity we need to feel. The emotion we need to feel is honor because listen, those folks aren't victims, they're victors. They would be victims if they had given up. They would be victims. They would be conquered if they had laid down, cowed down in fear and denounced. But because they stood strong, because they stood up tall, and because they lost their lives for believing, not kept their lives by denying and, and wilting, they are not victims. They're victors. They're, they've not been conquered. They conquered death. Death no longer holds a grip on them, folks. The Taliban might have taken their life, but Jesus has given them eternal life. They're victors. That's who he saw. He sees the saints, and he's writing to encourage us today. He's writing to encourage the family of the little Afghan girl who sees her daddy murdered before her eyes and says, oh, listen, listen, your, your father, he is, he is around the sea of glass. He is in a place where there is no more war and he doesn't have to worry about, can I provide for my family this month? He is in that place. And guess what? I will get vengeance. Your dad's death will be vindicated. I will get vengeance upon those who oppose me and my church and my bride. I will get vindication. It's a hopeful book. It says, wow, man, Jesus has already won. So we see the sign and we see the, the saints. And what else do we see here? We see the song. What are those saints doing? 
those saints that are around the, the sea of glass, and what are they doing? Well, it says they have harps in their hands. And they have harps in their hands, and I don't believe it's limited to harps, and I believe there's instruments all over heaven, right? And so uh, there, there are, I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, it's funny because there are denominations today who don't have instruments in church because, well, I don't necessarily see an instrument in the New Testament, but there's instruments all over the Old Testament. There's instruments all over heaven, we see, and so it doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's a different message for a different day. Uh, we, 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 we look, and they're singing on, uh, they got harps, and, and they're singing this song of victory, they're singing the song, they're rejoicing. Why? Because uh, of victory. They're singing the song of Moses and the song of the redeemed. Now, what are the song of Moses and the song of the redeemed? Well, the song of Moses goes back to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, what's happening in Exodus? If you'll remember in, in, in the book of Exodus, Israel, remember there's this war going on between the dragon and the lamb since Genesis 3. Israel's now in captivity to Egypt. Let's try to annihilate. We're trying to annihilate. So, so Israel is, is, is uh, that, that's the plan to annihilate God's people. And so, 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 so they're in captivity to Egypt for 400 years. God sends a redeemer. His name is Moses. He sends a guy to go in named Moses and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs, no, you're not gonna let you. So the 10 plagues happen, which by the way, when we look at the, the, the seals, the bowl, trumpets and the bowls, uh, they mirror in many ways the, the, the 10 plagues. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, the, the 10 plagues, they mirror the 10 plagues of, of, of Egypt. So on the 10th and final plague, Moses relents, the taking of the firstborn, he relents, he lets Israel go. Israel a large group of people, 600,000 to a million people, they are leaving Israel, or I'm sorry, leaving Egypt, and they're free for the first time. Man, they, they're free. They're making their way out of Egypt in the Exodus. It's what the story of Exodus, the book of Exodus is about. They're making their way out, and they come to the Red Sea. No longer had they come to the Red Sea than Pharaoh had changed his mind. He had changed his heart. And God says that he had hardened Pharaoh's heart, if you'll remember, so that God would get glory. So Pharaoh changes his heart and changes his mind, and then he sends his army after the children of Israel. So uh, when they get to the Red Sea, uh, they look in the rearview mirror, and man, they are hemmed in. They're at the Red Sea, no way around. The, the, the Egyptian army, which is the world's superpower at the time, uh, they were pressing hard on them. Now, Israel had nothing to do and nowhere to turn. They were doomed. Man, they were, had been in slavery for 400 years. They didn't know how to fight. They were malnourished. They, they didn't know how to fight. They didn't, have any, uh, in, they didn't have any weapons with them. They had their children. It, 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 they were like doomed. Well, I mean, what can we do against this mighty superpower? They were doomed, no hope. And all of a sudden, you know the story. God parts the Red Sea and he parts it into where there's, there's water is parted. Israel escapes through the Red Sea to the other side. And then when the Egyptians go, go to pursue them, he crashes the water down on their head, destroying their enemy. God saves his people by destroying their enemies and his enemies. That's what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. You're seeing a sea of, the Red Sea becomes literally the Red Sea of blood. It becomes a sea mingled red, right? So you're beginning to see here uh, some parallels. You're beginning to see what's happening. And so what happens when, as soon as Moses gets to the other side, think about what they've just seen God do. Man, they have just seen God bring all 10 plagues. 
And through all those 10 plagues, you know, they say, wow, they've seen God turn the Nile into blood. They've seen God bring the frogs. They've seen God bring the locusts. They've seen, they've seen God do all these plagues. They've seen God take the firstborn of all of Egypt, but none of this affected the, the, the Israelites who were God's people. None of it affected them. It only affected the Egyptians. They've seen all this. They've seen God bring 600,000 to a million people who've been in captivity for 400 years out. Then they seen the Red Sea. When they got to the Red Sea, they seen God part the Red Sea. They didn't knew they didn't have anything to do with it. They seen God part the Red Sea and bring the Red Sea down on their enemies. They seen all this. They watched it with their eyes. And what did they do? Man, they got to the other side and it says that Moses got them together and they sang the song of Moses. What was the song of Moses? It was a song recounting how absolute glorious God was. God, you are awesome. Look at what you've done. God, we were scared, but you were our, you fought for us. God, we were weak, but you are strong. God, we were hopeless, but you are our hope. God, you are holy when we're not. God, you are grace, gracious when we sin. God, you are great. We recounted God's deeds. That's the song of Moses. It's a song of deliverance and redemption. And that's in Exodus 15. That's exactly what's happening in Revelation 15. The saints, those who have been murdered, martyred, killed, have come through the fire of this earth and what we, what we go through. And now they are with God in heaven. And what are they doing? They have hearts and they're singing the song of Moses, which is the song of the lamb. It's a song of redemption. God, look at what you have done. Man, it, it, it was fiery on earth. And I came through, but Lord, you have redeemed my soul. They, they thought they'd kill me, but they can never kill because you conquered death. They, they thought they had taken my life, but you gave me eternal life. God, you are God. How awesome are your deeds, oh God. That's the song of Moses. That's the song of the redeemed. Isn't that what we do, man, in great times? Think about it. Man, when something great happens, what do we, we sing, don't we? I mean, man, we don't wanna, I mean, man, we sing because we're excited and we sing. Now, I want you to think about something. I'm a diehard football fan. You know that, right? Now, I want you to think about the Titans, right? We watched them last night. Well, the preseason's over. They're getting ready to kick off here in a couple of weeks. And you know what? I mean, there, there's eternal hope at the beginning of every season. There's 32 NFL football teams. And right now, well, probably not all 32, but most of those are thinking, that's our year, right? And then halfway through, it's going to be, wait till next year. <laughs> well, this is next year right now, okay? But really, this year, the Titans are deep. Man, they're good in every position, and they're deep, and their schedule's brutal, but this is the year that they could literally go to the Super Bowl. Now, let me make sure you understand something. If the Titans go to the Super Bowl and they win the Super Bowl, listen, if they go, I'd love to be there. I'm not gonna be there, man. That's too rich for my blood unless one of you say, hey, let's go to the Super Bowl. I'm like, I'm with you, okay? Let's go. But when they win, you know what's gonna happen? If I were at that Super Bowl, I promise you what happened. If the Titans go and if they won the Super Bowl, man, if they go, we might have a big party and, and we have a big party and watch it. If they win, let me tell you what I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have my queen playlist. You know, queen, one of the greatest fans ever. I'm gonna have my queen playlist ready. And I'm gonna hit that thing. I'm, we are the champions. And are y'all gonna sing with me? We are the champions. We won, right? I mean, man, then it, the next song is gonna be another one bites of dust, right? And then the next one's gonna be we will rock you, right? I mean, man, Queen just wrote those songs that say, we're gonna stomp you, right? I mean, man, we did. I mean, listen, I, it, it is, it, we sing. We're not gonna say the Titans won the Super Bowl. If we're all gathered up at a party, we're not gonna go. That's not what we're going to do. Man, we're gonna be, whoa. I mean, we're gonna be shouting and giving high fives and we, I'm gonna sing it for you and I don't even care, right? I mean, man, I'm gonna sing it for you. 
I don't care. We're going to sing. That's what we do. Listen, that's what Christians do. You know, that's why we sing on Sunday. But many of you say, you know what? We go to church and every Sunday we sing and preach. That's what we do. That's what church, why? Because it's, it, it is about remembering who God is, worshiping God for who he is, and being changed by his word. That's why we sing. That's why we listen to his word. So, so I want you to understand, when you come to church, when you come to church, if you don't come to church, I want to remind you, we don't come to church to say, oh, I gotta go to church today because I gotta get something out of it. As a matter of fact, I want you to get that out of your, even your mind because when it's about you, when you come to church about you know, what you can get out of it, if I don't feel like I need any, don't need anything at the moment, I might not come to church. Or if it's about me, I can stay at home. But it's not about you and what you get out of it. It's not about you getting something. It's about you giving it all, right? That's what church is about. That's what church is about. And when you give God everything, I promise you're gonna get, okay? You get in direct proportion to what you give. I'll promise you that. That's a biblical principle. And so church is about giving God. So we come in this place, and it's, and, and it's not to, 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 to sing about how great we are. That's not what they did on the banks of the Red Sea on the other side. That's not what they're doing in heaven. They're not saying, I mean, we're the champions, God. Look at what we did. Oh, aren't we so great? That's not what they're singing. They're singing, you're great, he's the champion, he's the king, all hail King Jesus, right? That's what they're singing. I mean, man, they're not singing about how they won, how they did anything with the Red Sea. The saints in heaven are not singing about how they were smart enough to recognize the gospel and accept the gospel uh, when other people weren't. They weren't smart, they weren't singing about how they were better than anyone else. They were singing, Jesus is great, he's my redeemer. He's the one who deserves it all, right? He's the king of kings. Holy, holy, holy is him. That's what they were singing. It wasn't about them, it was about God. And that's what we do. We come to church to hear God's word, to be changed by his word. We come to church to sing. Why? We come to sing to declare how great and how awesome and how good is our God. That's what we do, right? That's what we do. I mean, you think about it. Man, when you fall, as a Christian, you will because you're not going to be perfect. And when you sin and the enemy comes in and he begins to roll that over in your mind and replay that and say, oh, you're not worthy to go to church. You're not worthy to serve. You're not worthy to do any of this stuff. And then you come into church and then you begin to sing or in your quiet time and you begin to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me, then you're reminded it wasn't by my effort that I was saved. It was God's grace. It's not by my, by my effort that I am kept. It's by God's grace. Thank you, God, for your grace. I'm reminded of your grace, and I worship you. When, when the enemy rolls over in your mind, oh, man, you, you sinned. You do this. You did that. You, uh, are you really a believer? And then you sing, I belong to Jesus. What blessed mystery. You begin to sing that truth. Man, when you begin to look at the world and all the social unrest and all the, the military and political upheaval, the stuff happening all over, hurricanes hitting New Orleans and Louisiana, you begin to see all this junk and, and stuff going on in our world, and you begin to wonder, and then you think, you hold it all from the roar of the lion, the orphan, the sea, the waves, you hold it all, God. And then I begin to say, hold on a minute, man. I can look at this and I, I can be drowned and I can go down if I focus on all this crud that I'm swimming in or I can focus on Jesus and I stay afloat because he holds it all. He's in charge of the weather. 
There's nothing, there's never one hurricane, never one drop of water, there's never one, one ounce of wind, there's never anything that happens that is not in God's hand and God's control. He controls the bear, he controls the stars, he controls the seas, he controls the rains, he controls the sun, he controls life, and he controls death. He holds it all, folks. It's not arbitrary, it's not by chance. And when I'm saying he holds it all, man, when I begin to wonder who's winning this battle, and I come in and I'm saying, oh, hell, King Jesus, man, it changes me. It gives me energy. It reminds me of who God is, and you know what that does? That fills me up. But when you come to church and it's like, I got to get something, God, I got to get something, and you get something, and you leave, man, you lose it as quick as you got it. But when you come in and it's all about God and I'm not getting, I'm giving it all, when you leave, it's like, man, I'm, I'm full because God, I'm reminded of who God is. That's what's happening in heaven in this vision that John gives us. You, you see the sign of these bowls, then you see the, 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 the saints that are there, and you hear the song of Moses and the song of the redeemed. And I want us to, to sing the song of Moses. I want us to sing the song every week, and even in your quiet time, I want us to sing, and I want us to be reminded. As a matter of fact, we live in a crazy world right now. We live in a crazy world right now. Man, in a world that's chaotic, Jesus is peace. In a world that seems to be deceptive, Jesus is is truth. In a, in a world that war, Jesus is, 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 is peace and truth and love. It's Jesus. And, and, and we as believers need to cling to Jesus. And, and, and man, I can't promise you, just like the early believers, the disciples, the ter- Christians in those churches, the Christians in Afghanistan today, nobody can promise you it's going to be smooth. Nobody can promise you you're not going to lose your job or your head for following Jesus. But I promise you this, you'll be standing on the sea of glass because he is in control. And nothing will happen to you unless God wills it and because he holds it all. And you can go through this and you can go through this world and you can go through it with your eye on Jesus and not be taken by the waves and drowned. Matter of fact, right now, this is a crazy world, isn't it? COVID is just, COVID is stupid, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, man, 18 months we've been in this. And so we're, we're learning to live with it. And, and, and man, we're learning to live with it. And we know it's made another comeback. And hopefully the silver lining is uh, we're, we're, we're going to reach herd immunity at some point. Hopefully that's the silver lining. Uh, we hate that it's happening, but we know it's happening. And we're here and we're going to be here. Most rooms I'm in, I say, how many of you had COVID? And everybody in the room raises their hand. Uh, uh, if not, by the time, how many of you had it or have been vaccinated? Everybody in the room raises their hand. We're here. Uh, we're here because we believe and know that there are, there are physical issues. But man, there's so much spiritual, emotional, and psychological trauma that's going on with this. And, and so we're, we're here, but we know so of you might not can be sometimes. Some of you have to watch at home because you're sick or you're, 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 you're in a state to where you're compromised and you need to be there. I, man, we, we, we're glad you're engaged, right? We're here, but we know that this thing is affecting you personally. It's affecting our church, affecting every church, affecting every family. We've got people right now that have COVID. We've got people right now in the hospital with COVID. We've got people bad in the hospital with COVID. We got people that are struggling. We we had memorial service yesterday for a man who died with COVID, right? And so you never know. That's the thing about this. You never know. But we know it's scary. How many of you right now have family members or somebody close that you know, man, that's got COVID and it's got you a little concerned? How many? Raise your hand. Yeah, I know. I see it, man. I'm with you. It's me. It's most of us. Man, I I, I want to pray for you. In just a moment, I want to pray for all those. We all know in the last few weeks, I've been 
I've been talking about judgment, doom, gloom, hell. And then what I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm just going to tell you, man, the sermons have caused me to start looking across the table a little bit differently, across the room and across the street a little bit differently, across the, the, the cube, across the office. Now I begin to see people that I know don't know Jesus, and the reality is beginning to set in. And man, those people don't know Jesus, and I know what they're headed for without Jesus, and it, it's weighing on me. Good. Good. It should weigh on us. It should weigh on us because we should be urgent. Jesus, remember, weeped over, the, over Jerusalem because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He prayed, Lord, the har- pray that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord sends workers into the harvest field. More workers go in. And so I pray for lost people, but I pray for workers, which is you, Christians. And the first way that begins is for you to be burdened about lost. And so how many of you right now, how many of you have family members or really close friends that don't know Jesus? I do. That burdens you, I know. And I want to I I pray for you. I want to pray for those family members. As a matter of fact, I, I, I want to pray, and, and, and I, in this prayer, I also want to pray for uh, Afghanistan again. I, I, I want to pray there's Christians all over in, in other countries that are being persecuted, uh, that are being hunted down, and I want to pray for them right now. Uh, I want to pray for those in Afghanistan as the heat's turned up there. I want to pray for our, uh, our military men and women who are there, our, the allies, our allied military men and women from other countries who are there uh, fighting battles that they've already fought to take land that we've already taken uh, before. And I, I want to I pray for, for, for those to be kept safe. I want to pray for pastors and churches to be kept safe. I want to pray for these things, okay? Let, let, let's, let, 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 can we just pray for our world, all the social under- Let's just pray for our world if we can, can we? Father, we look at our world right now, and God, it is, God, it's a crazy place. God, I don't know why Christians are surprised. Christians should look at their scripture and know that it's going to get more intense. It's going to get more severe. Things are going to come, and Lord, it's not going to just get better and better and better. God, it's going to get worse and worse. We don't know when you're coming, but we know you are, and your word tells us that you'll come like a thief in the night. For some, it'll be an incredibly welcome sight because uh, they will be on a guillotine somewhere or they will be in front of a firing line because they believe in you. For others, they're going to be sitting at Starbucks thinking, man, uh, man, there's peace and and there's security, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. God, we don't know when you're coming, but we know you are. And until then, I pray that Christians would remain faithful. I pray for Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Libya and Somalia and Lord, and Laos, and, and, and Myanmar, all over the world, Christians that are being persecuted right now, Christians that are suffering, Christians that are dying, and their crime is that they love you, and they will not denounce you. God, bless them. Bless their families. Help us to not pity them, but to honor them. God, I thank you that right now, they're not victims, but they're victors, and they're, at the, they're, they're around the sea of glass. They're in, they're in heaven, and I praise you for that, Father. Thank you for that hope. God, I pray right now, and I know that there are people, uh, Lord, all over the world who are scared and suffering from this crazy pandemic called COVID. And God, I just pray that, Lord, it would it would be removed. But God, I, removed or not, I don't know if it can be. I don't know. God, I know you can do anything, but I don't know with it how it is. But I know that your people should live different in the midst of this. COVID is scary, but you're sovereign. You hold it all. 
I know that we have people in the hospital right now. I pray for them. I know that we have people that, with family members who are in, in, in bad shape right now, and I pray for them to pull through. I pray, God, that for, if they would pull through and then nobody would get glory for that but you. God, I, I pray, God, for, for uh, in this time, those families to have peace. God, I pray for doctors. I pray for nurses. God, uh, I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would protect our students and our teachers. God, I pray that you would protect us. But God, help us as Christians to never shrink back, to never wilt, to never fade, but to stand strong, to be wise, and to be full of faith, and to stand strong. God, I pray for people here now who have family members that do not know you, and maybe in the last few weeks they've come to grips with the reality that hell is real, your judgment and your wrath are horrific. And God, it's deserved because you are a just God. And God, I pray that as we look at our family members, Lord, uh, that in anyone who doesn't know you that will receive the wrath that, that, that is due all of us, Lord, that we all deserve, but those who know you won't, Lord, receive that because Jesus did. I pray, I pray for family members right now who have family who have not given their heart to you. I pray that we would be burdened for that. I pray that, Lord, into that great harvest, you would send uh, workers into the harvest field, people that would live sin. God, we look at our world, and God, we can be scared, and God, we can be scarred, or God, we can look at our world, and we can serve. We can serve you. We can serve our fellow man. God, we can look at our world, and we can we can be hopeful and we can know who holds it all and we can know that you're in charge of it all and we can know why it's happening and how it's unfolding and we can know that you're our God and you're in control and I just pray that that would embolden us to live, to stand strong and to be faithful. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.